welcome to Gulf Coast Community Church. And I can't quite see out, uh, look forward to that. If you would, open your, and by the way, we, we blew those out. You missed the bonfire that we had in the, the previous service, but at one point, I'm not kidding, this was on fire, the greens. <laughs> and, 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 um, and so we've, we've determined that it's a big trick that the candle companies are playing um, on churches with their Advent candles, super fast burning Advent candles so that they catch the greenery on fire uh, before the end of the uh, service. So uh, as, a, as a real thing. So the, the center ones seemed to go slower last time, so we'll hope for the same this time. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read a familiar story, familiar to those of us that have heard the Christmas story, probably have heard it many After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has, become, or who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, Weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Please join me in praying over God's word. Heavenly Father, as we hear this story again this evening, open our hearts and minds to see what king was truly king in this scene, what it means that he is king in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Christmas Eve, as noted earlier, marks the end of the Advent season, the end of waiting. The King has come. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. 
everything must be well in the world, right? Well, not exactly. In the children's book, Tales of the Kingdom by David Maines, which I recommend uh, if you've got children, get them or grandchildren. I read them to my grandchildren. But Ranger Commander would call for the pledge to the king, and he would do so by calling out, How goes the world? And the response was always the same. The world goes not well, but the kingdom comes. That pledge to the king. The world goes not well, but the kingdom comes. Could be a banner over our text this evening. It's a familiar scene to the Christmas story. Wise men, gold, frankincense, myrrh, Mary, Joseph, the child Jesus, King Herod. But honestly, it's a a dark scene. Really, probably the darkest in the whole New Testament. It's into such a dark world that Jesus is born. Light interrupting darkness. How goes the world? The world goes not well, but the kingdom comes. We sang of this moment in history earlier. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The world is weary of darkness. It is in sin and error pining. I had to look up the word pining. I don't know about you, but it's not a word I use every day. Yearning for something better is what it means. The world is yearning for something better. And with the birth of Jesus, a new and glorious morn broke. But it was the first peak of light into a very dark world. It was not the full light of day. So what does it mean to say that the waiting is over? We are surely still waiting for the second coming of the King. In what sense did the waiting end then and there? Well, we'll look at that under uh, two headings this evening, a, a conflict of kings and a conflict of kingdoms. A conflict of kings and a conflict of kingdoms. Let's begin under that first heading. There are two things that you can't talk about at family gatherings, right? Religion and politics, okay? Can't talk about those things. They don't mix either. Or do they? Matthew locates Jesus' birth in real time, or at least in what we think of as real time, and real politics. For in real time and space, he, he, he locates it by saying it, uh, that in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Unless we think it's merely a religious story, and by that, of course, most Americans, when we say a religious story, we simply mean that it's for our private lives and should have really no impact on our public lives. That's what we tend to believe as Americans it means to be religious. But it's, unless we think it's merely that kind of a story, it's immediately revealed as a political story. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The drama is set. One king, precariously balanced on a seat of power, hears of a challenger to his throne being born. Can't let word of that get out, can we? It's about as political as it gets. 
two rival kings over the same domain. And it's no innocuous political rival either. The Magi add, For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. See, political upheaval is always troubling. Herod was troubled because Jesus was a threat to his power, to Herod's way of running the world. The people were troubled because, well, political upheaval, well, it always brings trouble with it. So we'd prefer not to have it. What made January 6th of 2021 so troubling was that it challenged our very form of government. The nation was troubled. Regardless of what side of the political aisle they were on, they were troubled. What's the story in this chapter? The story in Matthew 2 refers to Herod as king three times. And there are six references to his kingly power or authority, beginning with the fact that time is measured by him. In the days of Herod the king, you wouldn't say in the days of Joe the camel raiser or in the days of the you know, horseshoeing guy and the metalsmith. I mean, you, 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 you think only of kings in those kinds of terms. He summonsed other authorities and they did his bidding. He had soldiers at his beck and call. Jesus, on the other hand, though immediately spoken of as the one born king of the Jews... And in more veiled terms, in the next line, the Christ, he is called a child six times, seven if you count the end of chapter one. To be clear, the Herods of this world are not as powerful as they would like to think. Herod, with all his kingly power, is panicked and controlled by his fear of a child. That is the story. And if we could only see it, It is a story that continues today. Herod's fear is not ill-founded. One might say Herod had no reason to fear. All he had to do was worship the king. But therein lays the problem now, doesn't it? Herod would have to give up his power if he worshipped the one born king of the Jews. The darkness of this scene that we read just a moment ago The killing of the children. It grows out of Herod's fear of losing his power. It is Herod's grasping for power. Which stands in stark contrast to the child whose life will reach its goal. Because he did not grasp for power but made himself nothing. This is not only a conflict of kings but it is also a conflict of kingdoms. And that's where we come in. We don't really think in terms of kingdoms very much as Americans. We think of countries or nations. We we confuse political with Republicans, Democrats, and independents. So what would it mean for me to say that the gospel is political? Because the gospel is, in fact, political. But what does that even mean in a world where that should mean, or we think it means, Republicans, Democrats, and independents? Well, we might be better off to speak of it as public and private. To say that something is public means that it has to do with all of us, not just me personally. And that is to say that it is political. In other words, anything that has to do with the governance of or the authority in public affairs is by definition political. When it says that Jesus was born king of the Jews, there is implied that Jesus will have authority over the Jewish state of affairs and Herod, therefore, would lose his authority. 
The kingdom of heaven is not a private interstate of the soul, which is divorced from how we engage each other, but an alternative to the way of the kingdoms of this world and how they operate and relate, and people in them relate to each other. So this story contrasts two kings, but it also contrasts the ways that these two kings and their kingdoms operate. One king can summons the chief priests and scribes and has an army at his disposal to do his bidding. The other is a child to whom everything is done. He was to be born. He is worshipped. He is taken in flight to Egypt. He is taken back to the land of Israel to Nazareth. Now there's clearly someone or something that has summoned the Magi from the east and brought them by controlling the stars to Bethlehem and through a dream to return another way and someone or something causing Joseph to dream in order that he might take the child hither and yon. But all the while the child slept in a manger or nursed at his mother's breast or maybe later crawled and took his first steps. From an earthly vantage point, This child is just that, a child. And his ways appear to be equally childish. These childish ways are the ways of his kingdom. They are the alternative world, the alternative uh, politic of his kingdom. When this child born, this son given that is promised in Isaiah grows up and begins his earthly ministry... He begins by teaching us his childish ways. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the lowly, those who long for justice and righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, shalom makers or peacemakers, those who suffer on account of justice. They become a city which is the light of the world by doing good deeds and in response to the oppressive self-righteousness of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they must have a righteousness which surpasses even that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They must not be angry with each other nor call, call anyone an idiot or insult them. When they realize that a brother or sister has an offense with them, they are to go immediately to reconcile. They must not so much as lust, never mind get physical outside of their own marriage. And possibly, the most childish thing of all, they are not to resist an evil person but are to love their enemies, pray for their persecutors, offer the other cheek to the one who slaps them, and give double to the one who sues them. At some level, this sounds like a child's game, make-believe, but it is quite real. The gospel is political because it reframes the world or reimagines the world. It reframes how we relate to one another. It reframes what is powerful and what is powerless. It declares hatred powerless and love powerful. It declares anger powerless and kindness powerful. It declares offenses powerless and reconciliation powerful. It declares self-righteousness powerless and righteous deeds toward others powerful. It declares riches powerless and the humble state powerful. And all of this, not in some pretend way of one's private world, but in a very real way in one's public world. It's political. The gospel is about a king who rules in very unusual ways. It is also about a king who longs to rule through us in our lives in these same very unusual ways. If we are to take this king seriously, this child born seriously, we must realize that Jesus 
not only threatened Herod's rule in, uh, over Judea, but he threatens our own rule of our own lives, our public lives, how we interact with others. Until we are troubled by Jesus' ways, we haven't yet submitted to his kingship. When we are troubled by Jesus' ways, we must decide whether we bow in worship and open our treasures to him or whether we seek to squash his ways with our own ways of power. We must, in the words of Jesus, turn and become like children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not only does he come as a child and live his life by ways that appear powerless to the world, he summons us to do the same kind of childish, childish living in order to enter into his political domain, the kingdom of heaven. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Jesus came to put an end to the sinful ways, the errors of the world's way of relating to each other in Christ's childish ways, the soul of humans, the ones who are like children, find their worth. And when we do, when we find our worth, the weary world begins to rejoice at what, they see, what it sees. That new and glorious morn that began in Christ is to begin afresh in our lives when we turn and become like children and enter the kingdom of heaven. We too become the light of the world as a community that reflects His ways the ways of his kingdom. Maybe this evening you hear the Savior, the child born, summonsing you to his side to worship. That calling may not even appear to be his activity. Somehow you've been guided as the characters in the story were by dreams or a star or who knows what, but now you find yourself longing to worship the king. The first thing this king does is save you from your own sins, your ways of doing life wrongly, of doing life in ways that harms others, saves you from your sins against God, saves us from our sins, the perpetual cycle of living life in the ways of darkness, the ways that destroy shalom. There is a dark king who wants to rule our lives. It's not Herod. No, he was ruled by this same dark king, and it all started in a garden. It was called the serpent, then later a dragon. It started in a garden that was the palace of a king. We call it Eden. There, humanity rejected God as king and were enslaved to the ways of the dragon as king. Christ has come to deliver us from our slavery by forgiving our sins, and he calls us into his kingdom. How goes the world? The world goes not well, but the kingdom comes. What about this world has you weary in this time? What darkness needs light to break into it in your life? How does Jesus' coming change that darkness? 